I'm Dave Laird. I'm Matt Booker. And welcome to a special third annual International David Foster Wallace ISU Conference Recap episode of The Great Concavity. Kind of a mouthful, right? <laughs> That's maybe our <laughs> longest intro yet. I think so. Yeah, for sure. So, Matt, welcome to uh, welcome to summer. It's uh, sort of we're part way through, halfway through here. It's August. How's uh, how's things been for you? It's the dog days of summer in Texas right now. <laughs> yeah. each, each day right now is just excruciatingly hot, and <laughs> it's driving people either indoors where there's right. air conditioning or to a yeah. swimming pool or out of the state. So out of the state. <laughs> I just got back from a vacation in Seattle and right. that was fantastic. I missed you from the other side of the Puget Sound. I probably we were so close to that. Yeah, almost. I think it's like a half an hour ferry ride or something like that. Yeah, so I think it's it maybe longer than that, but I Yeah, maybe an hour. I was staying on a couple the other side of Puget Sound in Bainbridge Island. And, right. and had to take the ferry into Seattle. So when you're out there in the middle of the sound, you can kind of see um, what I thought was part of Canada from up yeah. there. Yeah, Vancouver so, Island. Pretty close. Um, yeah. But the weather was much chillier and beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And it was hard getting back to Austin and getting in my car, which had been sitting out in the sun for five days, just baking <laughs> out in 100-degree weather. So yeah. right now it's truly the dog days of summer in Texas, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to school starting in a couple of weeks here and yeah. kids going back to school and kind of getting in that groove. So how's your yeah. summer been so far? My summer has been has been absolutely bananas. Um, we moved cities from Kelowna to Victoria at the very end of June. So that's why you and I were so close uh, at that point is because I now live in Victoria, B.C., uh, and so two weeks after that, I defended my thesis back in Kelowna. So I made a trip back home and uh, had the thesis defense. It was about two hours. Jeff Sievers was my external reviewer, and we've talked about him on the show before. He's out of UBC Vancouver. So he was uh, he had a couple questions for me about my thesis, and each of my three supervisors did as well. Lasted for about two hours, and I came back in, and they said I passed. So that was great. Wow, that's great. So he came up he came up from Vancouver for your He defense? was actually via Skype. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was a big head on glowing head on the wall and then everyone else was live and had a bit of a, a live studio audience with my parents were there and my wife Rachel was there and my sister and a couple friends were there. So that was wow, nice to cool. see familiar faces Well, in the congrats. Room. <laughs> yeah, thanks man. So since then, I've been kind of uh, d- doing a few very minor sort of MLA type revisions, and uh, I'm just in the process of uploading the final, final document to the, the server right now. Uh, and then once it's there, it'll be, it'll be public domain, and uh, we can post a link to it in the show notes of this later if people are interested in, in reading my 80-page thesis on uh, Christian soteriology and infinite jest. <laughs> you wanted to find that for us? <laughs> yeah, soteriology is the branch of theology that is interested in salvation, the question of salvation. Um, so I gave a, a paper at the conference just recently uh, last weekend. I was at, in Illinois for the third annual Wallace Conference and uh, gave sort of a, a very shortened chapter of my thesis uh 
chapter on Mario in Candenza's role in that whole equation of salvation. So I gave that talk and I was on a panel with, uh, with Samantha Wallace, who we're going to hear from on this episode. And uh, there was a beautiful moment where, uh, where, and we talked about this in the interview, but she mentioned our show and everyone in the room just started applauding for the, for the great concavity. And so that was like a really soul affirming uh, moment for me at the conference. Wow. So big shout out to everyone in that room who, who was there for that. Thank you so much for your feedback and, you know, being at the conference and talking Wallace with people last weekend was just totally phenomenal and uh, had some really cool conversations with, with listeners and who people who really follow the show closely. Um, so I'd give a shout out to uh, a really cool father and son team that were there from Pennsylvania, Fran and Dan. They came up to me on the first night during Jenny Baker, uh, her performance. Um, and so they talked to me a bit, a bit about the show and how they're... Uh, they're, they're fans of it. Uh, Dennis Frank is another listener that, that I got to talk to, and as well as Barbara Balfour from Montreal. She's an artist who does, um, who does vi- visual stuff with Infinite Jest, uh, specifically dude with color and also some erasure poetry. So her and Corey had lots to talk about, Corey Baldoff. And uh, she came up on the last day and gave me a copy of her book, The Inkiest Black, which is very cool, very beautiful hardcover book that people should check out and uh it's all about color and infinite jest uh, as well as some other things so big shout out to all those people uh, let me back up and say that the conference the past two years before this one the conference has been held uh in late may mm-hmm. and i attended both of those conferences and uh, was able to present papers at them and meet everyone and i had a really fantastic time yeah. Uh, also representing Sideshow Media Group there. Right, yeah. But this time around, they moved the conference for various <laughs> reasons. They moved it to the late July, which overlapped with an uh, important family reunion for me, uh, yeah. which was out in Seattle this year. Mm-hmm. And I was not able to attend the conference. So I'm already talking to the planning committee about getting a different date for next year so that it doesn't overlap for me and I can attend. And it's pretty selfish of me because I know there's a lot of people (laughs) who want to attend, but I really want to attend Yeah, and I want to be able to um, be a part of it. And you know, what's interesting to me is I, I used to be involved in some other online communities and I, in a way they sort of annoyed me and mm-hmm. I was sort of annoyed by people who were like really into their online community. Right. And I kind of had to take a hard look in the mirror and say like, wow, you really do care a lot about this Wallace community. Like why do you hate these other people who <laughs> they love their communities so much? And you know, for me, I guess I don't see it as like an online community. I see it as like a real group of friends and like yeah it's sort of like you're not supposed to be friends in academia you're supposed to be like this (laughs) rivals you know you're supposed to be like i don't know what you're supposed to be like and like i'm not in academia so it's like well screw it who cares what anyone else thinks like these are my friends and i want to see them totally so i yeah i want to go for that reason just to be you know part of the community and like see people that I mm-hmm. know. And like, I, it is always a very energizing experience for me. I really get a lot out of um, being around that kind of energy. And mm-hmm. I always come away with like tons of inspiration. So maybe yeah. you can talk about that. Cause you're a little closer to having <laughs> just gotten back from it. 
Yeah, that was all of that stuff you just said was huge for me. Like I came away from from last weekend just feeling so revitalized and so excited to keep plugging away with concavity and with, uh, you know, reading all the great secondary material that's coming out on Wallace, uh, a lot of which was kind of on our radar and we'll be hoping to bring on a lot of future guests who are publishing, you know, monographs uh, like Lucas Thompson and uh, Claire Hayes Brady and people like that. Um, and le- yeah, like you said, a lot of people, a lot of people came away from this conference saying, you know, the academic stuff is great. It's great to have the panels and, and the Q and A's and all that. But what really makes this conference so special is just the hangout time, you know, the extracurricular time at the pubs after. And uh, some of us rented an Airbnb house, Ryan Marnane set up a house and there was about seven of us staying there. Huge, like huge, like 4,000 square foot house, s- several bathrooms, like lots of bedrooms. And we just hung out till 3 a.m. every night, you know, drinking wow. beer and talking Wallace. <laughs> so sleep was, uh, was an issue for a lot of us at the conference, you know, like four hours a night kind of thing. But that it's worth it when you only see those people once a year who are so invested in this community like you and to get to just you just want all the time you can to talk to them so that was that was a really fantastic element to the conference and i will say matt that your name came up a lot at the conference and your presence was very sorely missed um i I appreciate that and it (laughs) means a lot to me and and a couple people said that to me and and it just really confirmed all of my feelings about you know, how much I need to stay invested in this stuff and really Mm -hmm. uh, keep, you know, keep communicating and connecting with people and meeting new people. And there's tons of people there that I meet for the first time who make a huge impression on me. And I end up, you know, uh, communicating with online all throughout the year. And then we get this, this one opportunity once a year to hang out. And like, it just also confirmed like how much I have to be there next year. I'm like, I Mm -hmm. have to be there. Yeah. So against all odds, Matt Booker, whatever it takes, I'm going to, I'm going to be there. So, um, it's, it's a really great, uh, thing. And I'm really glad that uh, ISU and Charlie Harris and Jane Carmen and Ryan Adele and all, all the people who worked on bringing the conference to life. I'm glad that they, uh, have, you know, created this thing and kept it going and Mm -hmm. i i'm pretty certain it will be at isu next year and that you know it sounds like all indications are the fourth annual conference will happen in 2017 yeah definitely sounds like that we had a kind of a debrief on the very last day with people who were still there there's probably about 40 40 50 people in the room and we talked about, you know, logistical things for next year. And one of the things that came up was the date. And a lot of people expressed that late July was a challenge for them and that some something like mid-June or early June next year would be better. And I specifically said, we need Matt Booker here <laughs> next year. And everyone kind of laughed and everyone was like, yep, definitely. Thank you for that, Dave. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Thanks I got for looking back. out for my interest. You know I would have said that if I was there. So. <laughs> you, you bet, man. I got your back. Um, so we have a really interesting, uh, two part episode coming up here. Uh, so they're going to be 17.1 and episode 17.2. And what follows after this is going to be a series of interviews that I got to do with people at the conference. So I brought my podcast mic, I walked around with it, lugged it around and, uh, just kind of approached people throughout the weekend who had, you know, really interesting talks that I got to see or people who are, you know, well-known in the community who've published a lot on Wallace, or you're going to see even a couple familiar faces, people we've had on the show before. So it's fun to get to catch up with them again uh, and record that. So today on episode 17.1, we are going to hear from Michael O'Connell, an interview with him, 
whom we've talked about before on the show. His right. essay, Your Temple is Self and Sentiment. Right. Uh, then Marshall Boswell, who, if you've done any kind of extracurricular study in Wallace, you'll know that he's one of the earliest scholars. He's been at it for a long time, and he was the keynote speaker this year. He's the author of uh, Understanding David Foster Wallace. That's right. An editor on tons of the new right. uh, p- pieces that's, that have been published by Bloomsbury. Uh, then we have Jeff Sievers, who's out of UBC Vancouver. Like yeah, we just talked about him, uh, he's been publishing a ton on Wallace. He's got a, a book forthcoming, so it's great to catch up with him. Then we've got Corey Baldoff, who was a guest on episode four of the show. Uh, then we're gonna hear from Matt Luter, who's uh, who's did a panel with Corey and with Mike Miley. So we're gonna hear from Corey, Matt, and then Mike Miley. And then lastly today, Samantha Wallace, who was her first time at the David Foster Wallace conference. No relation. And no, yeah, no relation. Samantha, no relation. Wallace and her and I were on the same panel, uh, so we did got to do the Q and A together, and that was great. So we're gonna hear from from her. And then on episode seventeen point two, we've got a whole bunch more interviews, and a lot of these I did actually back at our house because a lot of these people were staying at the house. So we just found a big bedroom, set up the mic, went for it. So the first of which is gonna be Melissa Melissa Holton, who is a friend of yours from Austin, right? She did a great paper on the Gothic, Infinite Jest and the Gothic. So Yeah, that's her, that's her thing. She's a Gothic yeah, expert. Yeah, totally. And I got to moderate her panel, which was rad. So that was a lot of fun. Then we're going to hear from Jane Carmen, who uh, who is the main organizer of the first two years of the conference. And this year was kind of in a more of a support role. But she's been, you know, absolutely fundamental in, in planning this conference over the years. Uh, then we're going to hear from Josh Katz and Emily Spaulding, who have written uh, an Infinite Jest screenplay. So hear about uh, their experience with that and what comes next for them. Then Tony McMahon from Melbourne, Australia, who's been at every conference I've ever been to, uh, just got his PhD, uh, and he's a, absolutely a, a riot and you know a huge voice in the Wallace community. Then we have Ryan Marnain, uh, who was also staying at the house. He's big into Wallace's literary fiction, the nonfiction stuff. And so we've talked about him on the show before with Josh Roiland. And then finally, two familiar faces. We're going to have Rob Short and Chris Ayers together in a room with myself talking about the conference and, and our experience of the weekend. So that's what we have to look forward to here, Matt, in episode 17.1 and 2. Enjoy, everyone. I think there's a ton of great stuff in these interviews, and I really wish I could have been there in person, but this is the next best, best thing for <laughs> yeah. all of us who couldn't attend the conference. So sit back and enjoy listening to really the, the heart and soul of the whole David Foster Wallace community. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, and one last thing that we'll mention is we actually uh, have introduced the very first contest on the Great Concavity. Right. Yeah. So on Twitter about a week ago, this is the last day of the conference, uh, we posted through at uh, Concavity Show on Twitter a contest. And what it is is a photo caption contest. So the previous night, we went to, a bunch of us went to Dairy Queen. Things got a little bit wacky. And someone had the idea, I think it was Chris Ayers, to, to reenact The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. So we're all sitting there with you know our various confectionaries uh, from Dairy Queen. And we took a, a sort of a, a similar sort of photo to that. So what you can do as a listener is you can go on, uh, scroll down a bit. It's about a week ago on our Twitter feed. And we'll, we'll repost this too in the next week or two. Uh, and you're going to try and caption the caption the photo. We've already had a bunch of great entries. Some of them just made me just almost cry laughing. Uh, and the prizes for this are going to be a full set of Chris Ayers Infinite Jest posters. Which you can see on uh, Poor York Entertainment 
Tumblr. That's right. So and Chris generously donated, I think it was eight or nine posters. I've got two tubes of them. And the winner, I'll, I'll get your address. I'll ship them out to you uh, gratis. And you will get to enjoy some very inspired fan art by Chris Ayers, a good friend of ours. Yeah, so take a look at the picture that's on Twitter, and we'll put it on our Facebook page and our Podbean, Instagram. Podbean and Instagram. Pod. <laughs> and you can email us um, at concavityshow at gmail.com and that's send right. us your captions, and then we'll announce the winners on maybe on the part two of this podcast. Yeah, maybe we'll probably give about a week or two after this comes out, and then we'll, uh, we'll let you guys know when the deadline's going to be. Sound good? And it had to have taken place because Ryan Marnade looks like Jesus. Yeah, well, that's why I got chosen because he has the super long hair, right? <laughs> and the beard and everything. It's and the be... beard. Yeah. And make sure you look closely at the photo, too, because there's some pretty sweet stuff going on in the background. <laughs> yeah, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to Robin O'Neill, as usual, Parquet Courts, and enjoy the, the series of interviews to follow. All right, so this is the the first of a series of brief interviews at the 2016 David Foster Wallace Conference, the third annual one, and I'm sitting here with Michael O'Connell, who is uh, someone we've talked about on the show before. He's the author of Your Temple is Self and Sentiment. What is the second clause in that title? I think it's David Foster Wallace's Diagnostic Novels, or right. something like that. Yeah, so we talked about your work on the last episode with Edmund um, and your ideas that that... In, theo- in a theological discourse about Wallace, it makes sense to think of him, you know, as a Christian writer, a Catholic writer. So tell us a bit more about your work on Wallace, uh, what you're talking about at the conference. Sure. So I just first I wanted to say in that um, discussion, you guys had mentioned, uh, you know, whether it made sense to think of him exclusively as a Christian mm-hmm. writer. And I wanted right. to say that I don't think that we need to talk about him as a Christian writer. I, I think the way that I ended that essay is to be like, it's productive to talk about Christian elements in his work. Mm-hmm. And there's certain biographical um, reasons to do so and certainly thematic reasons to do so, but he's not, you know, exclusively Christian or, um, you know, uh, a Catholic or anything like that. So um, there are other productive ways to talk about theology and religion in Wallace's work. Um, But there's definitely a lot of Christian elements worth uh, following up on and discussing. That's what I tried to do Mm -hmm. in in that essay. Yeah, very well, I might add. Thank you. (laughs) It's nice to hear. Yeah, Uh, it was funny. I so I did this thesis on you know Wallace and theology, and for some reason, in all my secondary reading, never never came across your work. And we talked about this yesterday. And then Matt mentioned it on one of our early episodes, and I was like, oh, I haven't heard of that one. Now I need to check it out. And then you made some claims in it that I was like oh no, this is my thesis. <laughs> like, but actually it was really helpful because I got to use some of your work as, as a jumping point for, uh, for, for expansion or whatever, you know, yeah. so that was really helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, <laughs> obviously you write stuff and then it goes out into the world and you never know if anybody actually sees it. I yeah. think I mentioned this yesterday that I actually at some point tried to Google Wallace and religion to see if my essay came up and it didn't. So I don't know if you know, the <laughs> keywords are wrong or if it's not archived out there. It's in uh, Christianity and literature, right. uh, which is a pretty big journal. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, when I wrote it, there wasn't a whole lot about Wallace and Christianity. And mm-hmm. then I sent it uh, in, you know, the time between when it got submitted and when it got published. Um, you know, I was very nervous that somebody was going to come along and write a similar thing. Cause I was like, there's a lot of low hanging fruit here that, uh, yeah. you know, I want to make sure that 
a very John 15 reference there with the abiding in the vine and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a certain paranoia to this academic world, right? Where it's like you you have to publish fast and really cross your fingers that someone else doesn't beat you to the punch, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Especially yeah. with stuff um, like about Wallace, which it keeps expanding. Mm-hmm. You know, the Wallace critical discourse just gets you know, exponentially bigger, it seems like, year by year. So yeah. Uh, yeah, trying to get it on the ground floor and make your claims and hopefully yeah. other people then will sort of incorporate your work into the to the larger discussion and it doesn't kind of just get fallen uh, to the wayside. Yeah, so, totally. Um, yeah. So what are you talking about at the conference? So You're on today, is that right? Yeah, we're going to talk later. There's yeah. a, a two panels back-to-back about Wallace and religion. Mm-hmm. Um, my original proposal was that I was going to sort of Crib some ideas from the essay that I published about uh, Wallace and conversion right. uh, and the way that he writes about conversion stories. But then when I started looking into it, I saw that Matt Booker had uh, given a talk basically that was, you know, Wallace and conversion at last year's yeah, conference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Pale so, King and, and Saul's conversion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Basically. The, you know, the Fogel novella and yeah. how it, it tracks uh, sort of these traditional Christian elements of the conversion story. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, I don't want to just sort of retread uh, old grounds, uh, both my own and Matt's. So then what I'm going to focus on today is sort of talking about not just conversion moments, but what happens after conversion moments in mm-hmm. Wallace's work. Um, so I think you mentioned yesterday in your talk talking about, uh, you know, Barry Loach and how Mario, um, you know, sort of saves him and what happens uh, you know, to turn Loach's life around. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to use that sort of as a jumping off point because in the novel, Loach, you know, apparently undergoes this important uh, transformation. Yeah. But then, you know, if you see what he does in the rest of the book, he's just kind of hanging out, taping ankles. Totally. You know, it's not like yeah. he has this uh, sort of profound role as somebody who's been saved. Um, he just kind of keeps yeah. on keeping on. Yeah. You know, which is fine. He's, he's a minor character in that scene anyway. Mario is really the key figure, um, yeah. which is what you were arguing yesterday and I think is totally true. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate the validation. <laughs> <laughs> but then in The Pale King, the similar thing happens with, I think, both uh, Chris Vogel and Lane Dean Jr., where they have uh, sort of conversion moments in the novel where they... Um, you know, Fogel's is, I think, the most famous mm-hmm. in Wallace's work. You know, it just goes on and on about how he goes from nihilism and wasteoid. Wasteoid nihilism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to, and he's called to account and he embraces <laughs> his role. And, but if you really think about it, if you step back from his telling of it and you're like, okay, well, he's an IRS agent. You know, there's that three pages of so-and-so turns a page, so-and-so, and he's in the, Chris Vogel turns a page. And you're like, how different <laughs> is this than sitting and watching as the world turns? Like, there's a difference, right. but... Is it in kind? Is it, is it in significance? Yeah. Um, and I think it's even more dramatic with Lane Dean Jr. When you first see him, um, you know, he's already Christian, mm-hmm. uh, and that matters to him clearly, but he's you know, trying to decide if he and his girlfriend should have an abortion. Yeah. Um, and the way the story ends is about uh, you know, he gets insight into her own uh, view of the matter, and he sort of is able to see things from her perspective, which mm-hmm. gives him... Maybe he calls it, I think, a moment of grace uh, to to embrace his role, um, to love her. You know, I, I read that as sort of a conversion moment as well, where he sort of uh, finds out what it means to actually live out his beliefs in a real way. Yeah. But then when you come back to him in the novel, he's sitting in his office thinking about ways to kill himself with jello. And so you're like, <laughs> okay, uh, what does it mean that he that he 
undergoes this conversion, yeah. but it's not like he's automatically uh, perfected or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder if like going, this makes me think about the Kenyan speech and the way that real freedom is achieved according to Wallace is by serving others in myriad petty unsexy ways every day. And I wonder if real conversion just looks like, you know, what seemingly menial and banal service to others, but that's a very Christian ideal in the New Testament, right? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I talk a little bit about, um, both in the essay and then today, I'm going to talk a little bit about sort of this concept of ascetia, that even if you, um, you know, have a conversion moment and embrace faith or something transcendent or bigger than yourself, mm -hmm. um, you're still going to fall prey to um, spiritual sloth or this idea that maybe, <laughs> yeah. you know, nothing really matters and that going through the day-to-day slog is hard and difficult mm -hmm. and no matter what you believe in yeah. that's always going to be true yeah um, which i think is probably the overarching theme of the pale king yeah totally but at the end you know there's that passage where uh you know in the section of notes that uh, michael peach includes at the end um you know that if you go through the most boring things imaginable televised golf or tax returns <laughs> um you know you'll you'll come out the other side and it's uh Constant bliss in every atom is the line. So, oh, yeah. Um, which is, I think in the last podcast, uh, Pater Edmund referenced that same passage, right? That mm -hmm. this is a very uh, Christian idea that if you sort of embrace suffering and go through it yeah. and don't try to run from it, you'll come out the other side. Yeah. And I think that Wallace maybe wanted to believe that, but I don't think we really see that happen in his work. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of where my talk today ends of just like, so what does that mean? Does right. it mean that it's not true or he couldn't really find a way to write about it? Mm -hmm. He just didn't get to, um, because obviously he was suffering from his own things at the time. Yeah. So, um, hmm. and I don't know, I find that to be sort of a compelling, uh, question. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I look forward to the talk. Yeah. I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and, uh, what, how's your experience at the conference been so far? What's the, what's the vibe and any, any highlights thus far? Yeah, it's been really fun. I've really enjoyed, uh, both getting to meet people that, um, I've seen or interacted with yeah. on sort of like Wallace Twitter or Wallace L. It's like, oh wow, I can put a, a face to a name and that's really neat. Yeah. Um, and then it's just great to be in a room with a bunch of other people who've read the same work as you have and really obviously it matters to them in the way that it matters to you. Yeah. Um, so I remember last night there was uh, a performance of uh, Jenny's... Yeah, Jenny Baker. Yeah. Erasure Poetry with Patrick Patrick Green. Green, yeah. yeah. Um, Such which music. Is, which is like, this is so cool that these yeah. people have spent their time, uh, you know, taking... In talents, doing these yeah, yeah, amazing things. arts, exactly. artistic projects. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the ways in which people engage with Wallace and, you know, through scholarship and through, you know, art and visual art and, and music and it's just so cool to see all these different, you know, talents that people bring to the table and there's so many different ways that it just sparks out. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's something that's really struck me. Mm -hmm. um, we were just in a panel uh, talking about Infant Winter yeah. and, you know, three-fourths of the people, four-fifths of the people that were sitting at the table who had been the guides were all artists of sorts or people who had done yeah. stuff with the text. And I was like, this is really, yeah. you know, an impressive uh, testament to Wallace's work, but also other people's creativity and how that uh, brings people together. Which yeah. It's been really, I don't know, it's been really neat. So good vibes. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's been really nice. Yeah, so. totally. I concur. Well, awesome. Thank you, Michael, for having a, a brief interview. Sit down here. Yeah, glad and, to do it. And, uh, 
I look forward to your talk later today. Thank you so much. All right. right. Thanks. All right. I'm here with scholar Marshall Boswell. Marshall, thanks for hanging out and having a little chat. Uh, You were the keynote speaker at the conference this year. What was... uh, what was your topic and what was some of the, the, the response that you had in the conversation that followed? Well, uh, thanks for yeah. talking to me, Dave. Hey, thanks for coming uh, on. You're, you're like one of the, the first, you know, Wallace scholars who who got to the material and you've been so influential in the scholarship. And if you look at any bibliography for any any piece on Wallace, like your name's always there. So Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I did say uh, is uh, at the, in the talk is that it has been extraordinary watching the field explode. Mm-hmm. Um, that early book I did in 2003, I had no idea what would happen to Wallace uh, studies. And, and when the field uh, took off, I kind of feel like I was standing around with a, a rope around my ankle that I didn't know was there. And the train <laughs> left, and I've been running to catch up ever since. Yeah, no um, So uh, when Charles Harris, who's a hero of mine mm-hmm. because of his, uh, his bar scholarship, which was very important to me when I was an undergraduate, and uh, even after that, um, asked me to do this, uh, I said yes before I even took a second breath, but then instantly felt uh, an, an air of panic because I just didn't know what I was going to say. and I didn't think I would have anything to say. So, uh, But then ser- um, serendipitously, uh, a week later, I was asked to contribute to a volume, uh, Cambridge Companion, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to come out uh, uh, in a year or two, and it's being edited by Ralph Clare. Who's oh, yeah. Maybe a, a, yeah, I met Ralph in Paris. Yes, Ralph was there, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the beautiful thing about Ralph's request is that it came with a very detailed abstract of the essay he wanted me to write. It was, uh, <laughs> it was an outline ready-made. So that makes it easy. <laughs> it is. So um, uh, I just instantly went to work on that essay. So what he asked for and what the, the talk tried to um, address was Wallace's uh, presence and his influences in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, one of the questioners at the talk uh, asked about um, other writers from Wallace's generation that we should be reading because Wallace has become so central. And I do think that is uh, a, a, an interesting development. Wallace has kind of uh, taken the air out of the room uh, in a way. He's so big and he's mm-hmm. so central um, that uh, we lose sight of the fact that he was part of a bigger, broader uh, movement of writers who were all wrestling with a lot of the same ideas and they were sharing ideas. So, um, And these ideas were nascent and they were coming out of a period before the internet they were coming out of a period when cable television was still a kind of new thing. Uh, we did not have cell phones. We were not streaming. Uh, we did not have Netflix. Um, so uh, the wacky future of uh, Infinite Jest now seems like our present, but it yeah. wasn't the case in the 90s, so uh, early 90s and late 80s. And um, so what I wanted to do was try to reposition uh, Wallace in that moment and see how um, the cultural forces that were at work uh, in those years uh, might have shaped him and might have um, uh, produced the, the writer we know now, uh, a writer whose uh, early traces sometimes get lost amid larger questions of post-modernity and his relationship <laughs> to pension and so forth. Yeah, so yeah. it was a way to, it was a way to, to narrow the focus down um, to a specific moment that I, I remember because I'm old enough, uh, <laughs> the 80s and the 90s. Cool. That's great. Um, have you had some good conversations with people, uh, panels you've attended? What have been some conference highlights for you? Uh, this has been a really high, uh, a highlight from the beginning. Uh, yeah. I've loved all the, the, the panels I've been a part of. There was one this morning 
that uh, featured two uh, young scholars dealing with gender, dealing with issues of feminism. That's a great topic. And it's the, I think it's one of the great areas yeah. that we need to go. Mm -hmm. Mary Holland has been a pioneer there. Yeah, totally. Claire Hayes Brady, they've started that discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to space in their names. But uh, uh, these two scholars, both of them addressed a broom of the system. Um, but they interrogated it uh, in a way that was judicious and, and, and uh, exciting, and it just seemed to lay the groundwork for a lot of subsequent work. So that was thrilling to see uh, a, a new idea. And then, of course, the one we were at, um, uh, the writers were dealing with religious issues, uh, taking up Adam Kelly's suggestion that maybe Buddhism, Eastern religion might be a component yeah. to add to issues of Christianity that have already been addressed. So mm -hmm. um, I've enjoyed watching the, the, the field of DFW studies broaden mm -hmm. uh, and move away from, you know, some of the uh, the canonical ideas that I think have been pretty well yeah. explored, and it's exciting to see it go uh, in new directions. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, gender studies being like a, an area that needs more exploration. Can you think of any other ones that you're, you know, sort of areas that you're excited to see get explored that haven't really been much to this point? Um, in my talk, I mentioned Wallace's politics. Yeah. Uh, Wallace's politics seemed to me um, an issue that emerges in the second half of his career um, in a way that um, I think, particularly after talking to some of the scholars, might actually retroactively have us reevaluating some of the what I was calling a kind of complacent non-political uh, aspect mm. of his earlier career. But um, I think uh, he was very attuned to uh, the partisan culture that has emerged post 9-11, mm -hmm. um, which has also been a product of the exact same media world that Infinite Jest anticipated. Um, the internet and Fox News and MSNBC have locked us all into our little boxes mm -hmm. uh, of partisanship. We only read uh, what we agree with and we can't communicate across ideological boundaries anymore. Uh, I think Wallace was disturbed by that and I think it was something he was keenly interested in addressing and um, uh, I think some early work has been done on that, but I think I'd like to see some more work um, mm -hmm. on that. Um, and then I think the big issue that keeps coming around is Global Wallace. Um, I got... Right, with Lucas Thompson's book coming Luke, out. Yeah, so yeah. that's happening. I got to read a... Uh, it was an unnamed manuscript uh, sent to me for review, uh, so I don't know who did it, but uh, it was a scholar who combed through all the work to find every reference to German literature. And there's more <laughs> than I thought. Uh, and, um, and uh, you know, the Dostoevsky components are, have been there, but so is... Ping... Dave here. Marshall came up to me the next morning sort of frantically and explained to me that he intended to say Franz Kafka here instead of Dostoevsky. So just to give you a sense of Marshall's commitment to accuracy uh, in Wallace studies in footnote. Goethe and Werther and there's a lot more than um, I had noticed and it's an uh, interesting uh, intertext. So uh, Wallace didn't know any other languages and we know that he had trouble you know with his French <laughs> um, but uh, his his books are being translated all over the world now. Yeah. Uh, we've got it. The, the, these conferences are global. Yeah. Uh, Did I tell you I, I was living in Tel Aviv when I came over to Paris two years ago for the conference at no. the time? And I found there's three translate walls translations in Hebrew. Uh, three different ones. Three different ones. There's brief interviews with hideous men. There's a kind of weird, weirdly collected, supposedly fun thing I'll never do again that actually has like short stories in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think there was Girl with Curious Hair as well, which also had a different chapter for him. And I was talking with the bookstore owner and he mentioned that Infinite Jest is currently being translated into Hebrew, wow. which is just ab absolutely bewildering. <laughs> well, and in you know? Paris, we met yeah. uh, chaps who were 
translating it into Dutch. Oh yeah, I believe yeah. Um, Luke Herman and some of these guys. Uh, so as the as readers across Europe and Asia begin to absorb Wallace, mm -hmm. um, uh, I think scholars now have an opportunity to think about Wallace um, outside. You know the the what we think of as these strictly American um, concerns that he's usually associated with, and mm -hmm. it's there. Um, his reading was broad. His reading was wide. He read everything in translation, probably, mm -hmm. uh, but nevertheless, I think there's a lot of uh, potential there. Yeah. Here's a here's a kind of funny question for you, and we can totally cut this if if you don't like it. But when I was recently reading Understanding David Foster Wallace for my thesis research, I came across a funny typo. There's where, there are tons in there. Said, I'm really sorry. Or, no, no, it was, it was actually a really fun one. Instead of DMZ, in one place it says DMX. And I just wondered if you're like a Rough Riders Anthem fan. I'm not. And you that wanted is, to slip that. I wish I were that cool. I know who DMX is. I, yeah, yeah. But I don't own any DMX. Uh, none of it's on my iPod. Uh, so that's just an error. But it's one of many. Uh, here's a funny story um, on that score. Uh, the original hardcover uh, edition made a major interpretation of the brief interviews with Hideous Men based on the fact that there are 16. Um, and I connected it to octet, which is, of course, eight. And there are not 16. I think there's 19. Oh. And <laughs> so I had to finesse that uh, and correct that error in the paperback. So I don't know if you can see the uh, the surgery work, but that's one of many things. Oh, yeah. There. I can relate. I recently submitted my thesis. And after sort of copy-pasting all the chapters together and then submitting it formally to the school, uh, went and re read read the PDF after and found a number of fairly egregious issues that I was very embarrassed by and yeah. I made changes and sent them to my supervisor and I was like can you send these to Jeff Seavers please just so he knows that I, I saw know them. these are issues and uh, I mentioned it in the defense and Jeff was like oh I didn't really notice too many don't worry about it <laughs> uh, there so is a review there's a review of uh, understanding David Foster Wallace written by Murray Suskin from the College on the Hill which, of course, as you know, yeah, from White is Noise. the character from Love White Noise. It was published in Modernism and Modernity. Yeah. Uh, it was an omnibus review of uh, Understanding David Foster Wallace and Oblivion. Hmm. Um, and uh, whoever that was, and there were footnotes, uh, uh, took me to task for the typos in the book. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, I've since asked the editor if that was Wallace who wrote that, and he said that he, would, um, he wanted to maintain the secrecy and the spirit of the gag. So it was a, it was a gag, mm. and uh, that's the closest I've come to being reviewed by David Foster Wallace, <laughs> if it's at all true. Anyway, you can look it up and see if it's in there. That's hilarious. Well, Marshall, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. And thank you. Catch up and talk a little bit of Wallace. It's great uh, great having you on the, on the show briefly. Yes, thank Maybe you. We'll get a fuller interview at some point. <laughs> great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Marshall. All right, I'm here now with scholar Jeff Sievers. Jeff, you're uh, out of UBC Vancouver, and of course, you've done some great publications recently on The Pale King, and you've got a bunch more kind of in the hopper coming out in the next bit here. You've, you've been a busy guy. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, the, I published uh, an article about The Pale King, and, and uh, one in, uh, that was in Critique, and, mm -hmm. and another uh, in Modern Fiction Studies about in, insurance and Wallace, yeah. and both of those are parts of chapters of the book that I have coming out um, in January 2017, uh, which is David Foster Wallace's Balancing Books, Fictions of Value, um, and that's coming from Columbia University Press. Uh, awesome. Then. Yeah. That'll, we'll look forward to that. That'll be great. Uh, fun fact about you, Jeff Sievers, you were, you were the external reviewer for my recent thesis defense two weeks ago. And uh, so you and I got to sort of work together a little bit and have a, a really fun conversation for a couple hours. 
uh, via Skype. And so I just want to publicly thank you for passing me and for all your inputs. And uh, so, by the way, I have to, you know, we have to talk about that a little bit. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've got some very revisions. good pieces and very well defended. Oh, yeah. thank you, Jeff. Appreciate yeah. that. So uh, you're here at the Walls Conference in Illinois. What uh, you spoke yesterday? What was the topic of your of your paper? And what was the panel like? And how did how, what kind of conversations have you had over the weekend that have been interesting for you? Yeah, I was on a panel um, with the title "From the Female Point of View," um, right. and my paper was about uh, Mr. Squishy, which um, and it was a paper mainly about the fact um, that Wallace published it under a pseudonym, Elizabeth Clem, and so the female from the female <laughs> point of view uh, was from Wallace's point of view in, in this paper. Um, in the the paper was essentially about why he would choose to write under a woman's name. Hmm. Uh, and so it's about, it was a paper about gender and about, um, the sort of general pattern in oblivion, uh, and, and in Mr. Squishy in particular of emasculated men and hmm. men who are in some way, um, dominated by, uh, larger forces. And, and in many cases by women, I sort of drew some parallels hmm. to, um, for instance, philosophy in the mirror of nature and, and mm. the Norman Bates like, uh, character who's dominated by his mother, uh, <laughs> there. But, um, I think the, the, uh, Mr. Squishy in this argument is, is really a kind of uh, story about not only, uh, the advertising world, but about, um, the number of influences weighing on that story. Uh, I've talked primarily about Pynchon and Gravity's Rainbow oh, yeah. as a main uh, influence on the story. Hmm. Um, and I think in Wallace's terms, at least, um, that uh, thinking about influence gets him thinking about a kind of Oedipal struggle with those influences, patriarchs for my parasite, uh, and about a kind of process of very oblique uh, emasculation that mm. that happens uh, in that process. So the conference as a whole, though, um, has been uh, really great. I've yeah. heard some really great things. Uh, I was on a panel uh, on the panel there was a, a paper about uh, a feminist reading of, of infinite jests and specifically Marat and, and steeply mm -hmm. I've heard um, great papers on one by uh, Matt Luter earlier today oh, just yeah. to pick out one example uh, about uh, Wallace liking TV uh, a lot more than he lets on in, in <laughs> Unibus Plurum if that's not a uh, ham-fisted summary of Matt's uh, very intricate paper. Oh yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you've heard a lot of good things too. I yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so. been great. I went to a panel today, a sort of a double panel on Wallace and religion, which of course is very yeah, relevant to my topic. Right. And I was on a panel that was kind of called Wallace and Religion yesterday. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been cool to find other people who are interested in that stream of scholarship too. Um, and there's always there always have been at the other two conferences I've been to. There's always a couple people who have been talking about that topic and are interested in that. So it's great to see um, kind of a, a stream towards gender and ethnicity um, and issues that are, that haven't really been discussed a whole lot in the scholarship yet. Yeah, do you see that as a, as a pretty burgeoning direction for, for study on Wallace? Yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot of potential there. I mean, just mm -hmm. in, uh, yeah, there have been um, at least a couple panels, mine included, uh, here at the conference on gender. There was a, a, a later panel with um, uh, today. I think the uh, Christine Peffer 
if I have her name right, uh, gave a paper about Room of the System and then mm. Joel and, and, and uh, Infinite Jest and uh, sort of reading reading those characters in terms of neoliberal post-feminism and issues of maternity and, and neoliberalism and mm. maternal responsibility. Um, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a kind of, um, it is a sort of subtopic with a lot of potential. I mean, I could even imagine, um, you know, conceivably a collection of essays, uh, down the line about, <clears throat> about the, just the topic of, of women, gender, masculinism, mm-hmm. feminism as it, as it relates to Wallace. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, um, another book that's coming out in the next, um, four or six months is Lucas Thompson's book, yeah. Global Wallace. Global and Wallace. he's been at a Wallace conference Yeah, I met before. him last year here. He's yeah, been a great yeah. guy. And so that's another example of a kind of opening up of Wallace studies, I think. I, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of much talked about at, at the conference and, and I think in general in Wallace studies that irony, sincerity, mm-hmm. um, empathy, uh, to and sort of ethics generally, I think, has yeah. been a... a, a where Wall Studies has been located for yeah. um, all the years, really, <laughs> so far of this kind of wave of scholarship following yeah. his death. And I think that's due to, to kind of open up and mm-hmm. gender, uh, race, and globalism, as, as Lucas's book mm-hmm. uh, handles it. Uh, those are all avenues for it opening up. I think in my work that I'm sort of economic reading of Wallace mm-hmm. is, is another main avenue uh, uh, for considering him, especially in relation to neoliberalism and, mm-hmm. uh, and issues of issues of politics uh, that are um, there in his work, I think long before he makes the explicit turn to civics as a, as mm-hmm. a main uh, topic that I think the rim of the system has a lot to do with uh, Reagan and Reaganite economic policy, for yeah. instance, uh, and he's very concerned with uh, depression economics, say in the in the early stories. So yeah, I think there there are a lot of um, uh, kind of signs that Wallace studies is going to turn out. It's going to bloom out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, do you get to teach much Wallace at UBC Vancouver? Or do you do contemporary American stuff and bring it in? I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've taught. Two graduate seminars that uh, were basically all of Wallace sorts of, of seminars, um, mm. and uh, though you know that's the kind of best setting really in which to to teach Wallace because the books uh, don't really, especially Infinite Jest and The Pale King, don't mm-hmm. fit uh, many formats. I have taught Infinite Jest to undergraduates alongside yeah. um, uh, um, Gravity's Rainbow, and then. And white noise, but that's oh, yeah. an honors undergraduate kind of uh, yeah. senior seminar yeah. uh, sort of sort of setting. Um, I've sort of you know I I'm taking this next year. I'm not really teaching any Wallace except a, just a, a few short stories mm-hmm. in in one course, and I almost think um, I should go back to teaching him because there's a way in which I'm seeing at least in terms of enrollments and course numbers that uh, teaching Pynchon and Delilah doesn't. Uh, <laughs> result in the same kind of uh, oversubscribed courses as <laughs> Wallace, Wallace is getting more Yeah, it, it's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked some at the conference about, um, or Marshall Boswell's keynote mm-hmm. uh, in the Q&A, with, you know, one of the topics uh, that he covered in his, in his talk and that was asked about was, um, you know, why Wallace appeals so much to millennials, and he made a good point about mm-hmm. it. Um, 
about the book really being a description of the world uh, they live in, in terms of, uh, yeah. and we live in, that I live in, in terms of uh, screen time and the kind mm-hmm. of enclosed, uh, lonely way in which we, you know, watch movies, for mm-hmm. instance. You know, we watch them on our laptops, et cetera. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that, I, I think there's, there's a lot of appetite Wallace among college-age students out there. Yeah. Um, so I should probably teach him more, I guess, is yeah. what I'm saying. Um, uh, yeah. I feel like DeLillo is, is a great gateway to Wallace, and that's actually how I got into Wallace, was through White Noise in a third-year American lit class. And then as a result of reading DeLillo, I was, my brain exploded, and I was like, I have to read more books like this. And then eventually I got to Infinite Jest a few years later, a couple of years later. That's a good pathway. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, so I'm a huge DeLillo fan. Yeah, it's a good, good description. I'm deeply of... indebted to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as Wallace was. Yeah, know, I think, absolutely. I think his, his mind exploded yeah. uh, at Amherst in, in reading reading DeLillo. Yeah. yeah. Um, he has that great line about like not wanting people to – or wanting people to focus on all the pension references or, or – indebtedness to pension mm-hmm. in uh room of the system because it i think it's in dt max's biography because it distracted from the fact that he had cribbed so much from delillo um, <laughs> uh, said, yeah that's so, nice yeah that's um, awesome so you're you're an american living in canada you've been in canada for seven years now in vancouver is that right that's right yeah. so final question convexity or concavity <laughs> Have we won you over yet? Yeah, gosh. <laughs> to right, the nux yeah. side. <laughs> to the to the nux side of things. Um, all I can say is that I, you know, I didn't think of, of Infinite Jest as a book that really had much to do with Canadian politics, really, until I read it with Canadian students and, yeah, and had some of them, uh, you know, uh, talk about Wallace's mistakes in French, perhaps yeah, intent- yeah. intentional mistakes, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, be able to, you know, uh, draw upon their actual knowledge, uh, thorough knowledge of Canadian history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, FLQ and crisis and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's obviously a book uh, that deals in, in caricature uh, and such, but um, maybe there's a kind of, um, you know, Canadian studies angle to be taken on infinite jest. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. if that answers so this, whether it's concavity or, or, or <laughs> convexity, but you'll um, remain. Um, I'll, I'll just. Uh, you'll defer judgment on this one. I'll defer for to the porousness of certain borders. <laughs> and that. Beautiful. That's that's a great ender. Right there. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking, Jeff. Yeah. And uh, awesome, people yeah. want to find some of your work. Where can, where can they go online? Uh, I have a website, I guess. If you just Google Jeffrey yes, Sievers, you do blogspot.com or something like that. And that lists uh, the publications, and the book will be out from Columbia in um, 2017. And um, yeah, I awesome. guess that, that's a good enough endorsement. We will <laughs> eagerly anticipate that. We've talked about you before on the concavity, so. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go yeah. search for that. I can't I remember what episode, but I'll dig it up for you. Okay. Matt, Matt Booker mentions you okay. um, in very positive light, so <laughs> <laughs> he'll be thrilled about this. He couldn't be here uh, for the conference this year, but. He'll be glad that I caught you. Cool. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. And we're here with Corey Baldoff. You are the first recurring guest on The Great Concavity, Corey. What? So you've had an appearance. Okay. And now you're back. Welcome back. Man. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You're you're privileged. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, Second 
Wait, we were talking about like second is the could be the best or the worst, right? <laughs> First is the worst, second's the best, third's a, third's a turd. Yeah, or, or the one with the hairy, hairy chest. Oh, yeah. So you'll have to see if that's true. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining, Corey. You were our, ep- our episode four guest, I believe it was, uh, right after Robin O'Neill, who you've, you guys have had like sprung up a friendship, I've noticed, on yes. Twitter and stuff. That's fun. She's great. She is really neat. She's very special. Yeah. Yeah. Have I talked to you yet about her recent French fry post in front of her drawing? Yeah, I, I loved that. Um, but tell me more because you've been doing a potato art project. I'm sure you could put it in more sophisticated terms than that, but we can call it the potato art project. So, but beyond the potato art project, I'm a philistine. Have you noticed? <laughs> I am also a philistine. I mean, I have somewhat of an art arc in my arch in my foot but well I don't know I, oh, know, I don't want to I don't want to load I don't want to load this too much <laughs> I just meant in the sense of like I'm you know I'm uneducated and okay. can't appreciate higher artistic forms liar <laughs> I was telling someone about uh my imagined anthology that you would have of um album covers that would align with uh, an art history book so you'd go through the art history book and there would be all the images in it yeah and like picture like for a one-on-one course because that would be a lot of images and you would have a match album cover for each one (laughs) like this this influenced this other one or or you'd look at it and you'd be like that's oh that reminds me of this album Mm. cover Mm -hmm. so it would be a a sequence of images that would line up. Right. This came up because we were talking about your your 20th anniversary Infinite Jest submission, and I made the comment that it looks kind of like, reminds me of the Tortoise album standards. Yeah. And then that, that you made that comment, I think, is how it sprung out. And then I think it's come up in Infinite Winter. Oh, yeah. And yeah. potentially Great Concavity. Oh. I... I think you reference album cover art a lot. often. Oh, maybe yeah. it's a subconscious thing yeah. that I do and I'm not really realizing. I think there's something where we all collect things. Like, so you go yeah. you go somewhere and, and, like, so you go visit somewhere or you go to the store and you might not need that thing, but you have this urge to collect it. Mm-hmm. Um, you could fit into that category. Yeah, perhaps. A but, mental form of collection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So how's the conference been? Oh, do you want to talk about the potato thing? Yeah. Well, 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 actually, Robin O'Neill yeah. helped me get ready for the conference because she came back from, yeah. monastic, from May monastic May and from Thank you, Silent Robin. Summer. Yeah. We're yeah. so glad you're back, Robin. Don't yeah. go away again, please. Yeah, but be careful. Don't, <laughs> don't put too much of your creative energy into social media. Yeah. I mean, uh, you got to find the balance, Robbie. Yeah, yeah. So... She posted that, like, right as I'm, like, putting together my last-minute things. Yeah. And I was like, no way! Like, the French fry is marginalia to Robin O'Neill's art. And she posts the the art unfinished, and she's like, sneak peek of my art. Yeah. And there's, like, oh, do you know what her orbs are? Those floating world orbs that are flying through space with the, I mean. Mm-hmm, I've seen them, yeah. Yeah. And, and then she's holding up the French fry, which is, like, an indexical sign yeah. in her hand is holding up the french fry in front of the painting yes and then i'm talking about digital marginalia and i was like 
Oh, Robin won't be there, but I think she'll understand. Oh, awesome. So even if no one understood what digital marginalia is. Someone will. Yeah. And her name's Robin. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So you have done a couple things here at the conference so far, which started yesterday. What panels have you been on so far and, and how did they go? What were they? What were the topics? Okay. So at 10 o'clock today, we did an infinite winter panel. Um, and Nathan zoomed in from Australia <laughs> on the big screen, yeah. which was awesome. Like his head was above ours. Yeah. And uh, he was pretty sleepy. He woke up at 4.30 in his world. <laughs> and then it was 12.30 in the morning in Australia when it was 10 a.m. here. Hmm. Or no, it was 9.30. Yeah. Okay. Nine, and so that was the split of time. Yeah. And so that to me, was a big part of our success. Yes. <laughs> that he made it there. Yeah, that was crucial because yeah. our panel kind of got decimated because mm -hmm. Nathan couldn't come last minute. And so, and then we didn't have Mark and we didn't have Ryan Blanc. And so it was you, you and me and Jenny Baker. But, and Rob was our And Rob moderator. Short moderated. Yeah. And we had a joke that we went long with Rob Short on the episode because that was the longest episode to date at that point. Oh, And we almost true. titled it Going Long with Rob Short. But then we didn't. That will now, well now in posterity, right? Forever. Or can there be like an adjacent album? Wait, is there ever a title of an album that is separate from the original album title? Like people refer to it as like maybe a song that ended up becoming the most well-known. They just named the album that. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any examples but there are like sometimes the best track will be the album title to, yeah yeah that's the thing sometimes so it could have I happened think, maybe so now i could marine comment. dreams the band marine dreams they're a canadian yeah. band from ontario they have an album from 2011 called marine dreams and there's a song called marine dreams and they sing the words marine dreams so that yes the answer is yes okay and i thought of an example on the spot that's good <laughs> wow which is and kind of amazing at this time of the day, two days into yeah. the conference. Yeah, it is. What is it? Eight ten p.m. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. had no alco no alcohol yet today. Cheers to that. <laughs> there will be cheers. Um, so we did the Infinite Winter panel. That mm -hmm. was a lot of fun mm -hmm. to to relive our glory days as writing compatriots. So behind the scenes glimpse here, Corey and I would send our drafts each week to each other for proofreading and and critical insights and things like that so it was fun to revisit that today with jenny and, and nathan it totally was yeah. that was that was good and to be in real space well virtual space is real also um <laughs> but i think we did okay representing everyone i'll be curious to yeah we, we got like excerpts in mm -hmm. and uh had another thought. Okay. Um, so you did another <laughs> panel today. So you did you double panel today, which is pretty laborious, uh, with Mike Miley, who mm -hmm. we're going to hear from soon, and Matt Luter as yeah. well. You're going to hear from him soon too. Yeah. I got there. The kids are lined up in the hallway to come in here for these interviews. Um, so what did you guys talk about in your panel? We didn't talk about kids in the hall. Oh, but, uh, speaking of great Canadian pop culture. <laughs> uh, but it was pretty awesome. I especially liked talking with them leading up to coming here mm -hmm. and uh, 
proposing that we would um, apply together. I, I'd be curious to know how many people applied mm. together. Like you applied, did you apply? No, you applied solo. And then they, and then you were matched. And then yeah. Mm-hmm. Although Risky. originally they they had me as my own panel for an hour. Yeah. And I was like, uh, no, I just have like a fifteen minute paper. Can there be some other people with me? Because <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and so, anyways, and it, worked it, it worked out in the end. Yeah. And Nathan was supposed to be on my panel, but he couldn't make it. So it was uh, Samantha, no relation, Wallace, and I spoke about identity and religion in Infinite Jest. I enjoyed that. Thanks. <laughs> the first day was awesome yeah. because I could go from one thing to the next knowing exactly who would be talking and that I definitely wanted to be there. Yeah. Like there was no there was no guessing or intuitive uh, pendulum swinging <laughs> or, or like blind drawing from hats. Yeah, Every, like the choices right. were fairly clear. And I, yeah, based on I, people that you know that you mm-hmm. want to know that knew that you wanted to see their talk. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. So you guys talked about was it like music and television and digital marginalia mm-hmm. in the panel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you unpack your part of that a little bit? I I can try. <laughs> <laughs> so digital marginalia, a good brief way to describe it. Uh, in one of the emails that Matt and Mike and I were corresponding to each other. Uh, Mike's like, hey, you have to um, check out this book, or he didn't say we have to. He's not rude like that. <laughs> uh, Tyrant Mike Miley. <laughs> yeah. um, there's this book that I think really goes along the lines of what we're all doing, The World Beyond Your Head. And I was thinking about it and realized I'm talking about digital marginalia, and that's like a really great, succinct way to sum up what I'm going for. So with regular marginalia, well, uh, with the origin of the word marginalia, there's no regular in normal Illinois. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Recurring joke of the weekend. Yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) I don't want to say regular because I'm having trouble Mm. with words like good and bad Mm. and... Normative, maybe? um, Um, Typical... I'll just say original. Original. The original (laughs) rum shaker. (laughs) Um, But so the original rum shaker marginalia, it happens in your head or with the author. Uh So Mike bringing up this title, The World Beyond Your Head, with digital marginalia, I'm trying to emphasize the conversations that we're having surrounding Wallace's text, but also other things that we're reading or projects that we're working on. Mm-hmm. And when the conversation moves off the page and outside of your head. So um, at one point I had an image of a dancer in Detroit. Um, she's like crouching in this like grassy lawn area and she's wearing a gray wig, but she's like all stretched out like next to this old Mercedes mm-hmm. But her stage is like this burned out part of the lawn where the Mercedes used to be. Mm. And around her is like all this chicken wire and like um, condenser, like cardboard boxes. And so I had an image of just her head like as a little oval. Mm. And so I was like, so this is this is uh, Biba Bell's head. 
you know, and so for digital marginalia, you have to go outside of that. And then I add the rest of the image and you see all that surrounding oh, okay. information. So yeah. it's like, how do you go outside of the conversation or dialogue that's happening in your head? Mm -hmm. And that how could that um, evolve the way you're thinking about what you're doing? But how could that also inspire or impact the things that are outside of what you're doing with Wallace's writing? Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Did you get some good Q&A after? Some good engagement. Yeah. yeah. Um, I believe her name is Claire. Yeah. Um, she asked like, oh, so I'm not sure if I'm on the right track, but could digital marginalia not be written down? Could it just be spoken? And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so then I started thinking about how digital marginalia is surrounding one subject. So if you're at a talk or if we all read the same reading, mm -hmm. there's that one subject, but then... Uh, if you think about that as like the center of a bike wheel, mm. it has all these tangents coming off of it that would be the digital marginalia. And then you right. like kind of see where it would roll. Oh, yeah. And, or and sparks maybe would be the other analogy that yeah. you talked about today in the panel. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Very cool. Sounds like it was really fun. I had to miss it, unfortunately. I'm sorry. No. But there was a panel on religion. And so I had to go because that was my topic. So anyways, but. It's been great catching up with you, Corey, and we hope to have you on again at a future time for a third appearance. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for taking the time out. Thanks a lot, Dave. <laughs> <laughs>
the overall take on television in Unibus is pretty negative. And I think that's in part because a lot of the examples Wallace is choosing to focus on there and to record are things that are kind of silly. Like easy targets, kind of? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, a bit of a like scare, scarecrow tactic, straw man. Oh, maybe a yeah. little bit yeah. because, you know, he, he mentions metal videos and he mentions televangelists <laughs> and he mentions American gladiators and... All the most extreme stuff. Ridiculous. Or, or, or things that, I mean, easy targets yeah. is, a, is a really good, mm-hmm. good uh, description there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, when we see characters in Infinite Jest watching television, at least real television that actually exists, um, it tends to be really good stuff. Mm. What in the 80s, early 90s, the, the term that was really commonly getting used was quality television. Mm. You know, people are watching Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere and Cheers and MASH. And these are things that, at least in the TV landscape at the time, were so consistently the opposite of those easy targets. This was the TV you were not supposed to be feeling guilty about watching. <laughs> right. And so um, I think for me, what it winds up demonstrating is there's a kind of softening of his attitude towards TV in that novel, or at the very least, he's allowing a greater range of responses from viewers. Hmm. In E-Universe, when he talks about that Pepsi ad, mm-hmm. he sort of compares it to how... This is an ad that is almost like activating viewers in a Pavlovian way, right? <laughs> yeah. Of you, you, you don't have a choice. There's only one way you can really respond to mm-hmm. that ad. Um, there's a wider range of responses to better choices of television in Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Hal writes that <laughs> pretty solid for a couple of page, little close reading of Hill Street Blues. Yeah that is pretty accurate about yeah. how that is a more narratively and cognitively complex piece of television mm-hmm. than some of the, the nonsense in, in E-Universe. Right. Um, when Oren talks about how much he misses the old days of TV, when there were commercials and there were reruns before the, the cartridge era, mm-hmm. he gets a little misty-eyed and he gets a little nostalgic in ways that would never have been allowed for, or at least smiled upon in the universe and then um even something like steeply talking about his father being obsessed with mash Mash, um he's clear it's clearly in certain ways a painful memory for him yeah how his father changes by the end of that anecdote yeah but even then i find it really telling that when when steeply is talking with uh with, with Murat at the end of that, and Murat says, oh, I see, so this American television program killed your father. <laughs> and Steve Lee is like, well, no, it was his heart. And so <laughs> there is a kind of, he's, he's not going to get apocalyptic about mm-hmm. the, the sort of excess of viewing there in ways that he's really, you know, for me as a reader, looking down on excess of viewing really intensely and um, in the universe. Yeah. So that's what I was focusing on. And then also the idea that, I mean, kept coming back to the idea that, uh, you know, it's it's certainly not just me saying these are better TV shows. <laughs> these things like St. Elsewhere, Hill Street, these are all things that TV scholars, TV critics are looking at as the things that set up the, the second golden age right. that we're in now. Yeah. In terms of creating things that are more serialized, more narratively complex. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
for somebody like uh, like the writer Stephen Johnson, who wrote a wonderful book called Everything Bad is Good for You, <laughs> about how popular culture actually keeps getting more complex yeah. in terms of the demands it makes on us cognitively as readers. Right. Yeah. Um, for him, I mean, it's just in terms of the structure and the, the form and the poetics of these shows, mm-hmm. they are actually demanding more viewers yeah. than the kinds of things that, hmm. that the Wallace is very dismissive of right. in the universe. What, what particular shows does he address there? Does who? Stephen Johnson? Yeah, Stephen Johnson. Um, he does this amazing thing. It's a wonderful book where he actually graphically sort of charts the complexity of he starts with dragnet which okay. is a which is a straight line yeah. because it is a procedural every episode is one case yeah. we do not get into the personal lives of the investigators mm-hmm. it's just we are following one case and um and he sort of says it's a straight line and as a result it's entertaining but it doesn't place a lot of cognitive demands on yeah. us as viewers yeah the next place he goes, I think, weirdly enough, is Starsky and Hutch. Okay. <laughs> because it's still one case, one episode, but there's a little there's like some character development over time. A little, and there's <laughs> and there's usually like some kind of like business at the beginning and end of the episode. Okay. There's like a, a setup and then a punchline. Oh yeah. Forty eight minutes later or whatever. Oh yeah. So he says this is a tiny step forward, and then um, by the time you get to Hill Street Blues, mm-hmm. it just it's a dozen intersecting okay. lines with yeah. all with this sprawling cast. We follow them professionally and personally, hmm. and then um, it looks pretty similar when he when he maps out the Sopranos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's kind of where he ends the Sopranos. That's um, the last big example. Yeah, because yeah. it is I think two thousand six. Okay. Somewhere right. Yeah. So, yeah. so this this really leads me to think about you know if Wallace were still alive today, how do you think that he would be thinking about the, the moves that have, the developments that have happened in television in the last decade or so, well, because we're like you're saying, so we're getting into shows now with like The Wire and Breaking uh-huh. Bad and um, Game of Thrones and and The Americans shows that are, are by all accounts pretty critically acclaimed and yes. and you know de- have huge amounts of development and you have to do some serious work to engage and think about them. Well, I think um, I mentioned in my paper today one thing that I did not want to do is have the like umpteenth think piece on how TV is the new novel, right? Because yeah, sure. because there's stuff that novels can do that television can't, and there's stuff that television can do that novels can't. Yeah, and, for sure. Um, so I guess you know, uh, so it's 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 tough. It's tricky to speculate what would he think about this now, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is one thing that that I imagine he would he would be on board with. I guess is the idea that there is a formal specificity to the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know loads of people have made the connection that the the cartridges in Infinite Jest seem to sort of prefigure on demand viewing, right. Netflix streaming yeah. video, all this kind of yeah. thing, um, which yeah. It, Wallace is such a writer for me of the cable age. <laughs> yeah. By by which I mean like there is this time period, I feel like from you know, early eighties to to mid nineties or so. Yeah. When when the 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 internet era kind of takes it over, mm. where there is this sense of information overload. I mean it's it's in DeLillo, it's in yeah. some Richard Powers, it's all over the place. Yeah. But we're not yet to the point where 
like trying to get a hold of it all is is a fool's errand and just futile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think when we get to writers who are way, way more internet era, yeah, like there's the sense of, you know, well, we throw up our hands because who can keep all of this straight? <laughs> right. Cable era stuff seems so much like there is a lot out there, but the number of channels is still finite yes. and, and two digit. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's there's a way that it still seems barely possibly manageable. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that's one thing that perhaps the, the cartridges and infant jests sort of look ahead to is yeah. the, is the, you know, your options are limitless. Same prolifer- proliferation of yeah. personally disseminated entertainment. And, yeah. and as a result, like you're never gonna, you're never gonna see it all. And, and you probably shouldn't try. <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly that would be a bad way to live your life <laughs> I, I, in a way. I mean, it, it'd be fun, but. It'd be fun. You but, might not have time for but anything you may have else. Time for nothing else at all. <laughs> like a job or relationships or yeah. things of that nature. <laughs> yeah, those are nice too. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are good things. Well, Matt, thank you so much for swinging by. I uh, appreciate you. your time. And uh, anything like coming up in the hopper academic wise for you on Wallace or um, just kind of chilling out at the moment? Would, uh, I'm, I'm figuring now probably on, on hopefully turning this into, into an article, what I did awesome. today. Great. And Expanding it, maybe looking forward to some of the some of the later stories that are working with TV as well. Cool. Suffering Channel. Yeah. Um, few people have mentioned to me, oh my gosh, you're talking about Cheers and Infinite Jest, so you have to talk about Cheers and Good Old Neon. Oh yeah. Which I agree. I'm gonna. Have yeah. To that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to check out your stuff? Or oh, so, do you have uh, a website or academia? I I do not. <laughs> <laughs> you're impossible to find. Um. I'm, You're I'm going to have to go through the NSA to find I am an infrequent Matt. user of Twitter and, <laughs> and so forth. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Matt. Later. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you, Dave. All right. All right. We are here now with Mike Miley from New Orleans. Mike, welcome to the Great Concavity, man. Thank you, Dave. You're, Glad to be here. Your name has been on the show a few times. <laughs> Matt and I both have been friends with you for a while, but yeah. we just for whatever reason haven't got you on as a guest yet, which... Look out for that in the future, we're hoping. Oh, cool. If that'd you, be great. If you want, that'd yeah, be cool. absolutely. Yeah, and so this is the third Wallace Conference that I've been at with you. Yes. Uh, we met in Paris two years yes. ago, and we were both here last year, and so this is round three. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, great. It's absolutely. good to see you again. Hang yeah. out. It's very good to see you too. <laughs> yeah, man. So you are you have a master's degree and you're you're you specialize quite a bit in film studies and tend to think about Wallace a lot in those terms. A bit, yeah. yeah. I mean I I bounce around a lot. Yeah, so for I sure. have a master's in fine arts and film directing from the American Film Institute and then but also wound up when I got into teaching English, kind of got back into essay writing and yeah. things like that. And so now I kind of some of my academic writing or my fun writing is about movies and some of it's about literature. Mm-hmm. Most of the lit stuff I've wound up doing is about Wallace. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think probably some of the Wallace stuff I've done has been kind of at least like film or televisual yeah. related. Um, and then, um, yeah, and you've had a, you've had a few publications in the last year or two, yeah. Yeah, it's, on, it's been had some stuff on Medium, was it? Uh, okay, yeah. So yeah. I did a couple of the pieces that A twenty four had commissioned um, for for that. Um, yeah, about the uh, the bandana and about mm-hmm. uh, him as an interview subject, and 
uh, then in the paper I presented in Paris came out in February in critique mm -hmm. uh, and then did a post for infinite winter of yeah. filmography thing yes, for that. That's right. And I guess prior to that, like a bigger stuff, like, um, other things were, um, a publication about David Lynch mm -hmm. and rock music and then, uh, written a couple things about movies for the Atlantic yeah. and uh, the annotations piece uh, that was in the smart set uh, about for another Wallace, Wallace piece. Yeah. So you're, you're a pillar of the community. Oh, Mike Miley. I, I guess so. <laughs> yes. I'm, 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 a, I'm a little Wallace urban achiever. Yeah. I'm proud we are of all of them. <laughs> so you were on a panel today with, I was. with Corey and Matt. Yes. Who we just spoke to yes. back to back. Uh, tell us a bit about your, your chapter of the panel. Oh yeah. So my uh, my thing is about uh, oblivion. I just I wanted to. I didn't at the time for submitting the abstracts. I didn't really know what I wanted to do mm -hmm. except I wanted to write about oblivion because it's uh, something I found really challenging and kind of wanted to figure out yeah. like why why is it so hard or what's different. Something about it I sense is different from the other work, and so I wanted to take a, a chance to figure out well what is it that makes it different and. In doing it, I, I, I was thinking about what I had done in Paris and some other things I've been working on with Wallace and realizing that there's a, it seemed to me, a different narrative strategy that he's using in Oblivion mm -hmm. from elsewhere. And so I, I sort of went with that, uh, going with so many things when people talk about Wallace, talk about this feeling that like, oh yeah, I feel like he's talking to me or like, I feel like he's right there or yeah. like it's him and there's not that that layer of removal that people experience reading most writers, mm -hmm. um, even writers who put themselves in the book, right? I mean, even <laughs> something like Philip Roth or Brett Easton Ellis, when like you can tell, like this is a caricature mm -hmm. where with Wallace, I think, excepting maybe the pale King and other stories, it feels a little bit more closer to, or it gives you the, you know, encourages you to view it as closer to the, the real thing. Right. And uh, what I, I think I noticed in oblivion was that, a lot of those things are kind of gone or don't really seem to be there as prominently. And so it seemed like it was really characterized by absence. Mm. And then I'm thinking, well, it's a collection called oblivion. <laughs> Everything's really, really bleak. Yeah. And there's this real feeling of absence. Mm. And so the paper is large, uh, it's called verbal chaos. And it's largely about how, um, from looking at that collection, we can see how important, a sense of authorial presence is to Wallace's fictional project because the stories in oblivion have a lot of difficulty achieving some of those goals. Mm -hmm. And it may be because this narrative strategy is largely absent. Hmm. Uh, so that's the main thrust of it and cool. kind of arrives at an idea that not only is perhaps does the author, it, it sort of tracks each individual story and not necessarily chronologically, but then ends at the suffering channel to, make the claim that so not only does the artist need to be present mm -hmm. making his or her art the way Britt Mulkey is at the end of that story like so you have to be there he has to produce it in front of you but there's the so there's the artist who needs to be present and a witness as well mm -hmm. the, the witness figure needs to be there uh, with one or the other absent then the project um, loses its context mm. and potentially can be forgotten about or disappear mm. and, you know, wind up in a state of oblivion. Yeah. I've noticed that Oblivion's showing up pretty big this year yeah. at this conference. I was really surprised. Good and old neon even and to the squishy. point where there were two Oblivion panels going on at the same time yeah. and couldn't, you know, you had to, I, I ran from one to the other, <laughs> uh, essentially. Yeah. Cause usually it's the one that, I mean, 
that and Broom, I guess, are the ones that people don't talk about as often. Yeah. But uh, or you, I mean, you get you hear things about Good Old Neon quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other stories, kind of, I mean, there are. The, I don't really remember seeing much. I guess last year Conley did a paper about possession that mm. used Soul Without a Smithy and yeah. uh, The Pale King, like yeah. doing stuff with The Exorcist. And then Mitch did a paper in Paris about yes. The Soul is Not a Smithy. Yeah. As well. And the Mitch year, Cunningham from Australia. Yes. Yeah. And then the year, the first Wallace Conference, conference uh, Carissa Halston did this really knockout paper about looking at the Suffering Channel as a modern reinterpretation of Dante's Inferno mm. and looking at cool. the, sort of like how some different circles of hell correspond to oh, the story. It was great. Cool. Yeah, that was that was like my favorite thing I saw that yeah. at that first conference. Awesome. It was really good. Cool. So how was the Q&A engagement with uh, your part of the paper? Did you get some good Oh, it was good. good. I, we were at the end of the day, so I think a lot, <laughs> a lot of people were like sort, of, sort of cued and aid turd. out, right? Uh, so we, uh, and I think because things were running long, like our thing was, a, our period was a little bit shorter. Uh, so not, not a ton yet, but like I think I'm just going to kind of like pull people aside who were there <laughs> and kind of be like, so like, so really like what? how good was my talk on a scale right. of I mean, one to like, do 11? You, yeah, do you like me? Right, yeah. Yeah, from a scale of like 9 to 10, like how much, yeah, yeah. How much did this really like do it for you? Uh, yeah, great paper or greatest paper, right? Uh, but Just give them a false dichotomy, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, I'll have to kind of figure out, like, because the, like, the way I do things, like I write the longer version and then cut it down. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of the, yeah, other people I did kind too. of do the, they just write the conference talk and expand it later. Yeah, and I, right. I just, um, I don't quite know what I'm saying when I start to write it, so I've got to like write the whole thing mm-hmm. and then and then kind of distill it. Yeah. So I'll have to corner some people and kind of be like, "Hey," or send the longer version and say, "What um, you know? Tell me what you Get some tell feedback. me what's going on here yeah. before I start sending it out." Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We speaking of oblivion, we had kind of a funny back and forth on Twitter this week with uh, one of our online friends, Madam Psychosis. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Megan, and she was saying that she gave her mom Oblivion yes. to read as the first Wallace piece. Like, hey. This is the author that I love. Check this out. Right. And her mom was like non pretty nonplussed, I yeah. think. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa, that's bold to give your mom oblivion. Yeah. Like and then you were like, Well, maybe it's a good litmus test, you know? Yeah, I mean that like, could be intriguing. Yeah, yeah. I mean you know, he, Wallace talks about like, you know, how Infinite Jess might have this high bar of entry in the first two hundred pages or so, but You're then right. like once you climb that hurdle, it's it's a lot easier. Yeah. And that's I mean, the first 200, all of Infinite Jest, to me at least, is like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory compared to Mr. Squishy, you know? I mean, like, there is, I mean, it's like Go like go Fox Go or whatever, whatever that one's called. Um, and so I think, you know, if you really want to be like, look, don't, like, I don't want to waste your time or mine like yeah. if we're gonna if we're gonna be together on this like i need to know right now where, where i mean like yeah like mr squishy's probably a good like but honestly like i don't know if i would pass that test but i think like that's a that's a <laughs> yeah. gutsy honest test totally. right that's like yeah. throw down the gauntlet yeah. you know can you really hang mm-hmm. or not i mean I, but i feel like that's probably a story somebody needs to work up toward yeah um yeah. i mean i know i think incantation incarnations of burned children gets used a lot as like to kind of pass people to be like oh here try this one could especially mm-hmm. i think for high schools right because it's oh, so yeah. short you know and it's like a fairly standard mm-hmm. uh short story by comparison to his other stuff uh so i mean i but I think very seldom is Oblivion ever used as anyone's entry point into yeah. into Wallace. Um, and I mean, I think that's sort of even borne out in 
its relative lack of uh, attention up to this point, academically even. I mean, there's yeah. certainly stuff out there, yeah. but it is not, you know, it certainly ranks near the bottom of, mm. I mean, like everything in more gets less attention, <laughs> right? But mo- so many things get written about way more, yet I, and I go back and forth on this for a while. I thought, oh, well, no, in 10 years, this is going to be the thing that people mm. are really, like, I brief interviews and Oblivion are going to be the things that people are really focusing on. Uh, I don't know whether I still feel that way about Oblivion, but Mm -hmm. I do think uh, we were talking with a few people just a moment ago. The interesting thing about those particular stories, particularly something like the Suffering Channel or the Soul is Not a Smithy, is that there are so many different um, ideas being worked in about American history, about America's cultural moment, and... Mm -hmm. In addition to all of the stuff about attention and sincerity and awareness and like all of the other things that we talk about, yeah. but the 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 difficulty I think is that they're very difficult to separate from each other. That it's you can't necessarily just it's very difficult to look at it just at one of those lenses mm-hmm. without feeling like you need to rope the other one in. And I mean, certainly that's the case with Infinite Jest or something like that, but it's a little more understandable given that it's a thousand page novel, but yeah. Soul Without a Smithy is like a 50 page story and it's got that density to it right. that makes it really hard to approach um, in a, in a sort of focused way because there's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's very, even though it's long, it's what's going on and it seems very expansive. Um, so I, I wonder whether that's also part of the difficulty is, well, how do we approach this, mm-hmm. um, these stories? Because it seems like there are so more layers and that, that can't be separated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Anything uh, else going on for you at the conference this year? Uh, just coming to see friends. Yeah. Mostly just, a, a, I a, mean, a big selling point was I'm going to see, get to see people I haven't seen in a year and, yeah. you know, and spend time with everybody. Yeah. Uh, so that's good. Yeah, it's real yeah. good. It's been a blast. Um, any any ma- other major highlights of the weekend for you? Oh, um, well, this is, uh, I think I really did like uh i got to moderate my first panel ever yeah me too uh, the, 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 I, I followed yeah. your cues yeah uh, so, and i enjoyed that uh, i mean like two very different papers about octet and yeah. I, I thought okay cool this is this is a lot of fun and I, yeah. I wish that i wish we could have had longer to talk about all of that because i was really interested in the perspectives that were mm-hmm. in both of those papers that uh Corey hudson and thomas moore did and uh, I thought, oh man, like this, if we, we could have another half hour yeah. and really, <laughs> really get into some cool territory with it. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. That was, yeah. a, that was a, a good way to kick off the conference yeah. for me. Awesome. That's great, Mike. Yeah. Where can people find your, your writing, uh, find you on Twitter? Oh, okay. you're, you're pretty active on Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so if you want like play by plays of the conference, Mike's oh, been like right. rapid firing quotes and stuff like that so yeah I, I did try to um to live tweet for the folks who couldn't who couldn't be here uh so i'm at mike c miley m-i-l-e-y and then uh the writing i need i probably need to find a place to collect all of it i mean like, <laughs> like the, a website or you, something. <laughs> what, what's that uh yeah i need i need one of them uh but i guess the um the David Lynch piece is available through JSTOR. Um, the critique piece is like behind a really thick paywall. So you, you oh, can find yeah. a good find, find, go to run to your nearest university library and uh, use <laughs> the free terminal yeah, uh, yeah. to, uh, to do a search term. And then the, um, the other, and then there's stuff on the Atlantic.com. Um, and uh, the other, the Wallace annotation piece is on the smart set uh, website. So it's a, uh, 
Sorry, that was it. It's a, it's you're a man. Of, you're a man about the internet, right? You know, a yeah. variety of places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, throw a rock online, and you'll you'll hit you'll hit me. <laughs> awesome, yeah. Mike. Thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Yeah, thanks Taking for having time. me. Appreciate it. Man. Appreciate it. All right. All right. I'm here now with Samantha No Relation Wallace. Um, <laughs> Sam, is that true? No relation to David Foster Wallace? As far as I know, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that it's not true, but so far it's, it's true. <laughs> well, right on. So Sam, you and I just presented together on the same panel at the conference. And That's right. uh, you gave a talk about uh, David Foster Wallace, Infinite Jest and Grammar, which was riveting and, and totally fantastic. <laughs> so it was great that we got to hang out on that panel and do Q&A together and all that stuff. We were supposed to have Nathan Seppolt as well from Australia, but unfortunately right. he had to cancel sort of last minute. Um, but you gave like a really sweet shout out to the Great Concavity at the start of your talk. And it elicited this like this applause yeah. from the audience, which Very was like enthusiastic. one of the... enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which was one of like the most life affirming, project affirming things uh, that happened for me uh, in recent memory. So I just want to thank you for that. It was so sweet. And thanks oh, to everyone yeah. who's in the crowd who showed their support for, for the for the show and this project and what we're doing. So Well and thanks great. from all of us for doing what you do. This is great. You're like <laughs> hey, it's it's seriously Matt and I's pleasure. Like keeping us plugged we, in while we're not with other Wallace fans. It's yeah, yeah, it's important. Yeah, it's amazing that we can sort of continue the community stuff, which is so palpable and amazing at the conference. Yeah. Uh, the the sense of camaraderie is just out of this world, I think. And a lot of people have been saying that in these interviews. And getting to continue the conversation on Twitter and, and here and other places is just so rad. Yeah. So that next year when we all get together again, it's just like nothing. You know, we haven't missed a beat. So that's yeah, great. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're a PhD student uh, currently. Where are you located? I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm at the University of Virginia. Awesome. Yeah. And you're originally from California. That's right. Yeah. I grew yeah. up in Southern California, lived yeah. in L.A. and San Francisco, and now I'm out here. So... Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And uh, and what are you studying in your in your program? Are you doing Wallace specifically for a dissertation or where does he land sort of in your purview there? Yeah. So originally I I thought I was going to do Faulkner. Um, oh, yeah. UVA has a really great Faulkner collection, but uh, mm -hmm. I read Infinite Jest and was sort of pulled by Wallace into the latter half of the 20th century. So <laughs> sort of still up for debate uh, what exactly will be in the dissertation, but mm -hmm. I think there's a good chance Wallace will be in there. It's, yeah. it's hard to turn down the opportunity of having a first scholarly monograph be titled Wallace on Wallace when you have that when you have that opportunity. So yeah, you you cannot pass. It's that sort up. of like destiny, I think. <laughs> Love it. That's great. So tell us about your talk uh, that you just gave. Yeah. So I. Um, it's a good thing the talk was at three or four p.m. because I did talk a lot about grammar, um, mm -hmm. and infinite jest, and uh, Wallace's authority in American usage essay. Um, and uh, what I'm really interested in is thinking about how Wallace's philosophy of language kind of becomes alive in Infinite Jest, and if his what he said in authority in American usage, um, if that sort of clashes or gels at all with what's happening uh, in Infinite Jest. So the talk, my talk started with um, authority in American usage and then moved on to kind of look at different instances of error, kind of comedic and otherwise, in Infinite Jest. Right. Uh, and yeah. sort of how we see that played out so yeah that was great you got into some like really technical yeah stuff i know that let, like 
that I've never even heard of before. So I was like, it was riveting. Halfway through the talk, I was like, you know, this might have been a terrible mistake. And like talking about like subjunctive moods with a bunch of strangers. But I don't know. It's what gets me going. And hopefully it it can translate to other people in some way. I think throwing some comedy in there always helps out when you're when you're doing a, a grammar breakdown. But Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like anyone who's into Wallace is gonna is gonna be used to that kind of conversation. Anyways, like Avril and Candenza and Infinite Jest and the militant grammarians That's of right. Massachusetts and, and all that stuff too. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I mentioned to you uh, just just recently that one of my really good friends back home, Amy Pelche, is reading Infinite Jest for the first time right now. She's really into grammar and like politeness and etiquette, mm-hmm. and she texted me that she's loving Infinite Jest and mainly because of Avril Incandenza, that Avril's her favorite character, and she's just, like, losing her mind about how much she loves Avril. Yeah, remind me how far she is. I think you were like, well, yeah, yeah, how far in is she? We'll see what she says, like, later. Yeah, I... If she if she really goes through all of Infinite Jest and Avril stays constant as her favorite, I would love to talk to her about how that how that I'll happens yeah touch. because i mean i also obviously love grammar although i don't think i'd consider myself a snoop but avril is yeah she's a tough one yeah her text to me was quote the wheels of adjectival justice continue lol avril is the yeah. best yeah the few the proud the mortified with everybody else something like that <laughs> that's awesome yeah. So, um, so how do you feel like the talk went in terms of uh, Q and A? What kind of response? What kind of conversations did you have with people after? Um, it was it was great. I mean, I had I had mm-hmm. kind of pitched the ideas to some of my colleagues at UVA, um, but there was so much explaining that went on, just you know, background about Wallace and Infinite Jest. That when I when I gave a talk at the conference, I mean, I already had people right there who are so much more familiar and plugged in with Wallace that. I thought the response was pretty great. Um, I mean, you were on that panel, so you know, had a really receptive audience. They asked great questions, but you don't get that kind of audience, that sort of expertise anywhere else, which is why having a single author conference is so awesome, because if you really want feedback uh, on your ideas, you really have to talk to those people who just know it inside out, and that's that's kind of exactly what I found um, Mm. with that audience. I got some really good grammar questions that I wasn't really able to answer and maybe I should have provided a disclaimer that I was I, you know as the speaker was not therefore proclaiming myself as a grammar expert um, but yeah I had some really great questions about grammar and people brought up some instances in uh, just where they saw other errors happening you know, errors in the text where a speaker would say something like I have half of this and half of this and half of this and another speaker would say like well that's just nonsense and like that's that's great because it's got kind of the text auto correcting itself and really dealing with that in a self aware kind of way and like yeah that's oh, awesome that's cool. yeah like that. so that was great mm, yeah and just a fun yeah, group totally. to be around you know like fun people yeah so this was your first Wallace conference right that's right yeah yeah so did you feel like you came away making some pretty great friends yeah yeah we had sort of a yeah. um a little cohort. Uh, ran around and talked about our papers and and conferences are great for you because you make kind of like insta friends um there's no Mm -hmm. time to i don't know there's no time to kind of waste you just you have to talk about your ideas right away and 
really get to know people right mm. away. So it was a great first experience. Um, yeah. I would definitely, I would definitely come back. I, yeah. 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 Actually. So this is a funny, like sort of paratextual mm -hmm. thing. You and I are actually not at the conference right now. We're yes, meeting via yes. Skype because we were going to sit down for our interview on the last day. And then you were like, oh, I have to go. I have to catch a train. And I was like, okay, no problem. Like we'll record it later. Um, but the next day when I went to the Bloomington Normal Airport to fly out, John Mango was on the same flight as I. Oh, that's great. And you guys were friends. Yeah, yeah. Our friends, present tense. Yeah. He was in your crew. And, yeah. uh, and him and I sat together on the plane. We asked the person if we could swap seats. And we talked about Wallace for like two hours to Minneapolis and then another hour in the airport and had like, you know, one of the most most like life affirming conversations of my entire life, just hearing his story. Yeah. And Shout out to John Mango. As, as, a, as a future guest. Yeah. That would be awesome. Like he was telling me some stuff about his life that I just almost started crying at one point. Like the way that Wallace has been so important and significant for him was really personal, mm -hmm. really personal and really mm -hmm. out of this world. And I think we all sort of have a deeply personal connection with Wallace's material in a way that you probably don't find with a lot of other writers. Yeah. Um, it just sort of like rips you right up. It gets in there right away. Yeah. There's, there's sort of no, I don't know. There's no time, like I said, to sort of waste. It just gets right at you. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it'd be great. It's, yeah. John Mangos. He's shout out to yeah. John Mango. Yeah. John he's Mango the greatest. Is, is the man. Yep. I'm, I'm so excited. Him and I have been emailing since we got back and talking about like video games and board games and stuff and, and we have yeah. a lot in common. So it's been great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little about like future work plans for dissertation. Um, any ideas for like next year's conference, what you might want to present about if you were, were to come back? You know, I'm, I'm kind of new to Wallace. So I read mm -hmm. Infinite Jest for the first time last fall in a class and after reading it, had that initial response of like frustration and just like what and so I I started it over again and so after I did that I I decided that I was going to work through all of his work chronologically mm. so I've been going through that and I I I don't I don't know what it would be yet I think I kind of like to work with Girl with Curious Hair a little bit. Cool. Um, mm -hmm. Tiny Expressionless Animals, something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite it's stories. so good. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of um, his early work, I didn't think, at the conference this time around. So maybe mm -hmm. some of his or earlier short stories. Cool, Westward yeah. is such a is such a slog, but <laughs> I don't know. It might be worth... Yeah, the novella. Yeah, it might be worth mm -hmm. pulling apart a little bit, but... Yeah. Yeah, cool. we'll see. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Sam, where can people sort of find some work you've done or get in touch with you on Twitter? Are you around on like the social media things at all? Oh, gosh, I'm such I'm such a Luddite <laughs> <laughs> right now. Yeah, the best place to reach me is probably my um, academic email, which is kind of gibberish because I think they're trying to make it secure. But that is S.A.W. 5ZW at virginia.edu. Um, and that. I love getting queries and emails. Cool. Um, yeah. Keep. That is a pretty obtuse address. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to keep you like under the radar or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't. You cannot I, be kept under I, the radar. I, I was so looking forward to having a name, you know, like my name in an email. And then I got <laughs> a, a, like a bunch of gibberish numbers. It's pretty so. dehumanizing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's the best way to reach me now. At some point in the future, my students will convince me to get a social media profile of some sort. But yeah. for now... I would actually really encourage you to get, get on Twitter because... 
the Wallace conversation that's been happening on Twitter. Yeah. Like even the last few days has been absolutely bananas. Um, (laughs) Conference related or otherwise? Yeah, yeah, conference related. Like everyone is just like, we're just all going nuts and it's been, it's been a ton of fun. So I encourage you to get in on that. I will do it. Yeah. I haven't seen it happening on Wallace L. So that's where it is. Yeah. That's where the conference conversation is. Yeah. 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 Cool. Get, get on it. Join the party. We'll do. Sam, thanks so much for talking to us at the Great Concavity. We are so excited to uh, to have you as part of the community as you're having come to your first conference and are excited to see, you know, what develops from you in the future. Thanks so much, Dave. It's been a All pleasure. Right. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. Mama Cedar.